Father, thank you for coming in person to touch us through Jesus Christ. And thank you that your Holy Spirit continues to touch us now, today. Thank you for the fellowship that we share here, the joy, the laughter, the praise, the thinking that comes about because we belong to you and know that we belong to you as we fellowship together. Thank you for Rex's faithful ministry. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to him and keeping him strong and leading him through 80 years of belonging to you. Thank you for faithful family that taught him about your good news. Thank you for Karen who stands at his right hand shoring him up and scolding him and telling him to behave himself because he needs to do that, Lord, so that he can be strong. Lord, thank you that we can bring all our concerns together, that we are a family. Lord, we, we pray for Dave and Denise Larson who have lost a dear, dear friend, a brother in Christ, Mike Jones, this week. And we pray for Mike's family and we ask that they would know how powerful is your resurrection promise. We praise you that Mike knew you and loved you and is home present with you. We thank you that we can testify to that as your servants in a world that is full of darkness and doubt and fear and anger and murder. May we be vessels and instruments of your praise as we turn our lives to you and may we become aware of the situations that need your tender touch. We pray for Karen as she continues to heal. Let her know the presence of your Holy Spirit's healing hand. May she know it through this congregation. Thank you, Lord, that we can lift her up. And, and those who are suffering also, who are needing your tender mercy and your healing. Lord, we pray for this nation. We pray for the anger and, and the bitterness that is too prevalent here. May the joy of belonging to you be our strength. May we draw others to know that is our hope as we lean on you, as we become pliable in your hands, as we celebrate being part of your church far and wide in all the different corners of this world. May Jesus Christ be praised as we live out the prayer he taught us to pray, saying together with one voice, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, it's on. Nobody has to Good morning. <laughs> My name is Nathan Berger. For those of you who don't, who don't know me, um, I'm one of your elders. And uh, forgive my meddling, but uh, what are our priorities in life every day? What do we place in our hearts first? It, it, it's not always God, is it? At least I can speak for myself. Why do we put a time limit on God? Why do we put other things first every day, including today of all days? It is because of our sinful and fallen nature we are doing these things. This Sunday and every Sunday, let us center ourselves before God. And every day, excuse me, let us center ourselves before God and make Him our priority, 
like he makes us his priority. After all, to paraphrase one of my favorite books, My Heart Cries Home, we need to learn that our body, our lives, our everything is truly his, not ours. And by his grace, we are free. Will the ushers please come forward?
just thank him. Lord, how we do thank you that we are your priority. Who are we? We are your prized possession. And that you love us because we are yours. Not because of, of what we've done, but because of who you are. And we pray that that would be evident to us and through us as we give these gifts that you've given us to be used that others would know that they are your cherished possession that you gave your own son for. And it is in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. visiting with us we've been in the Ten Commandments and we're right in the middle of the Ten Commandments this morning and we're in Exodus chapter 20 we're talking about the perfect ten how God blesses us a lot of times these commands are seen sound heard like injunctions or a scolding but they're not they're God's word of blessing and cherishing us just as Elaine has just sung who are we that God would love us like this. Well, here's how he loves us. Listen. In Exodus chapter 20, God speaks and says, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word and bless us with it and give us a joy in belonging to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Let your good news come now and find us in all of its fullness. And with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our salvation. And so we pray in the strong name 
of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. You know, we look at this one straight little phrase, sentence, you shall not murder. That's how the New Revised Standard Version translates it. I'll talk about that a little bit this morning. But we look at that one statement. And, and as, I, as I look at that, I think, well, what does that have to do with this group of nice people? They're not murderers. Most of us are outwardly, at least, gentle people in a violent world. We don't want to kill or even seriously injure anyone, apart from very desperate times of protecting ourselves or a loved one or someone who is innocent when a crime is being committed, when a, when a war is being brought forward. And some of you have had to do that as, as soldiers in the military. Some of you have had to do that as law enforcement people. And God bless you. It's a hard thing. But most of us don't want to have to do that. And this command could therefore seem pretty cut and dried, right? Don't kill. Most of us grew up on thou shalt not kill, right? Even as much as culture has little use for the Bible, there's a tragedy in itself and a whole other sermon. Even as much as culture has little use for the Bible, this, this still seems to be agreed upon principle in our world, doesn't it? You shall not kill. You shall not murder. It's part of the law. And so it would be easy to slide into simply spiritualizing what it means to kill or murder someone. Like killing with words. If words could kill, right? Thoughts could kill. We could so easily spiritualize it. And, and even Jesus said that to call someone a fool in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the consummation, of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that to call someone a fool in anger is setting ourselves up for eternal loss because we make ourselves judge and jury. To kill someone unjustly is wrong. To use words to do that, to ruin their reputation, to kill someone with a word can be a very slow, agonizing death. But this is talking about a very literal injunction. Do not take the physical life of that person. So why not just deal with this on a spiritual level, since we are not murderers? Well, we can think of this spiritually. And we do need to think about how do I murder someone's reputation? How do I murder someone's spirit? How do I crush someone's very life by the way I treat them? That's important. But we also need to be very literal about how do we avoid murder? Well, we can, we can do this. We need to deal with it literally because God gave us a literal injunction. First, I think we need to see this injunction and, and the distinction in the words for killing and the words for murder. They're, they are different. But perhaps even before this, we need to realize we are created in God's image. Every breathing human being, and I know this is hard sometimes, because we look at some very, very broken people who are doing some very ugly things, and we want to say, well, that person's not created in God's image. But every person who has breath is created in the image of God, such that to take a life, even when in defense of self or others, is not to be done without a deep 
sense of gravity and never, never with a sense of delight. And perhaps the only time killing is justified by one is by someone who doesn't want to do it but knows that they are saving the lives of others. And I think about some of you who are put in that position daily to have to consider that. And you don't want to have to do it, but you know that it's saving others. Uh, on this, uh, the, the great Presbyterian pastor Earl Palmer once shared that he said, I was, I was so touched by the time that uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf, who was in charge of the Desert Storm Allied Forces was being interviewed by Ted Koppel. And the general won great respect that day when he was describing his own understanding of the philosophy of warfare. He said, I would never want to serve under a general who enjoyed war. I would never want to serve under a general who enjoyed war. And he spoke about his heroes from World War II. Omar Bradley, Dwight Eisenhower, George Marshall. He mentioned a couple of others who he said hated war. It made them safe to be generals in war. And that's what's great about our country. We are led by people who want peace. I think we are helped by this in remembering Presbyterian pastor John Dunn's words many years ago when he said the death of anyone the death of anyone diminishes my own life, my own life. So send not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. When someone dies, we all die in a way. Cain was the first to kill someone. No one had ever died, think about that. No one had even died, let alone be killed, when Cain killed his brother. And he raced to the east of Eden saying, whoever finds me will slay me. No, however we define it, the killing of another life is not to be taken lightly because we are made in God's image. But not killing, hmm, but not killing is not in the Bible. Not killing is not in the Bible, though some may think so. The word used here, thou shalt not, you shall not commit murder or, or you shall not kill does not prohibit the protection of one's home and that leads us to understanding what God meant when he placed this injunction before us remember these words all of these are in place to protect us and to protect all of creation not just us it's about all of the kingdom the key to understanding this is to find what the difference is between kill and murder in the original language of Hebrew. So I'm not going to get real technical with you, but I think we need to recognize this. You would think that of all the Ten Commandments, this one would need the least explaining because it's so clear, right? It is the one that the King James Bible, as I've said, most widely used English translation says, thou shalt not kill. And, and so you would tend to think, well, you know what killing is, therefore, no more conversation, right? Don't do it. And yet the truth is quite the opposite, because this is probably the least well understood of the Ten Commandments. And the reason is that the Hebrew original does not say, do not kill. 
it says do not murder. There's a difference. Both Hebrew and English have two words for taking a life. One is to kill, harag, harag in Hebrew. And the other is murder, ratzak. The difference between the, the two is enormous. Kill means taking any life, whether a human being or an animal. Oh, that's different. Taking a human life deliberately or by accident. Three, taking a human life legally, illegally, morally, or immorally. That's what kill means. On the other hand, murder can mean one thing. The illegal or immoral taking of a human life. That's why we say, I killed a mosquito, not I murdered a mosquito. Well, you might say that, but... Ants, how about that? Anybody got any problem with killing ants these days? Whew. Not me. And that's why we would say the worker was accidentally killed, not the worker was accidentally murdered. You see the distinction? So why for so long has the English language Bible used the word kill rather than murder? Why do we have it memorized as kill? Well, because 400 years ago, when the translation was originally made in English, as we came into the Reformation and the Bible was being put in the vernacular of people everywhere in their language, kill was used interchangeably with murder, which is not accurate. As a result, some people don't realize that English has changed a great deal from 1610. And therefore, to think of the Ten, they think, well, the Ten Commandments prohibits killing. No, it prohibits murdering. But murder leads the list because deliberately taking the life of an innocent person is the most terrible thing we can do. That's why it comes before all the other injunctions about adultery and stealing and lying. That's why it's so important to understand that the commandment prohibits murder, not all killing. When people liken killing in self-defense to murder, such as when they equate killing the terrorist who is murdering people with the murders that the terrorist is committing, all they're doing is reducing the evil that murder is. Because one is murder and one is killing. And when they use the Ten Commandments to justify that position, all they're doing is making the Ten Commandments the moral injunction of Western civilization morally irrelevant because they say, well, killing, murder, same thing, so you can't do either. But by far the most common use of ratzak to kill is to describe, or excuse me, to murder is to describe a murderer who kills premeditated or with malice, and thus the sixth commandment is clearly rendered into English, do not murder. Big distinction. Okay, enough of a language lesson. In this life, and here's the tough part, in this life, because we live in a fallen creation, lives will have to be taken to protect what God ordains. Because we live in a fallen creation, until Jesus returns to separate the sheep from the goats and to put all things right, there will be some lives that will need to be taken, tragically, in order to 
to protect what God ordains. As I've said, until Jesus returns, there will be no end to this, and some very brave and noble people will have to do the hardest thing someone can be called to do. We just saw Dunkirk Friday. I recommend it to you. It reminds us of this. Some people had to do some very, very difficult things. The good news is that few, if any of us, will ever murder anyone in cold blood. The bad news is we already have. Every single one of us. Peter says in Acts 3, but you, y'all, in the Greek, y'all rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That's bad news, isn't it? We are responsible for the death of Jesus. If anybody ever asked, was it the Romans or the Jews who killed Jesus? Raise your hand. It was me. It was me. Some of you have seen the film, The Passion of the Christ. When Jesus is crucified and a nail is driven through his hand, you do not see who is doing it. All you see is the hand of the hand holding the nail and the hammer coming down. Do you know who did that in that film? Do you know who the actor was? It was Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson said, I want people to know that I take full responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ. It was me. Because all of us are responsible for why God had to give up his son's life. We are Cain. We murdered and lost our own lives in the process of choosing to do things our way. In trying to justify ourselves, we have sentenced ourselves to death both literally and more significantly, spiritually and eternally. That is why God said, do not murder. He was telling us that trying to redeem ourselves only leads to death. The only one who can deliver us from this penalty for taking things into our own hands is God. And God, through John, tells us this is the good news. Here's the good news. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does take a life, we have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's why we have a unison prayer of confession. Because we sweep around and realize that God is saying, I want you, all of you. God is the redeemer. We cannot redeem ourselves by murdering, literally or spiritually. But we can experience redemption as we let God redeem us from thinking we can be our own saviors. <laughs> J.I. Packer has a great comment on this. He said, as murder writers assume, how many of you read murder mysteries? Come on, some of you do, yeah. As murder story writers assume, and most of us learn and experience, we have in us, whether or not you read murder, murder mysteries, we start to realize we have in us capacities for fury, fear, envy, greed, conceit, callousness, and hate, which given the right provocation could make us murderers, killers, out of us all, baby batterers, blue beards, professional thugs, or amateur hitmen. Some of you know about 
G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown, and he explained his method of detection, wanting to know he could figure out who the murderer was. This is how. By saying, you see, it was I who killed all those people. In the sense that he looked within himself to find the mentality that would produce the crime he was investigating it and did, in fact, discover it there by looking inside himself. Brown, though fictitious, states fact. When the fathomless wells of rage and hatred in the normal human heart are tapped, the results are fearful. There, but for the grace of God, go we. We could all do it, and we have. Only restraining and renewing grace enables anyone to keep the sixth commandment. I want you to think this morning about all of them that God calls us not to do. What has kept us from doing all of these things? And some of them we have violated. But what has kept us from murdering? The grace of God. Not ourselves. Not our own restraint. The best news is knowing is that knowing our hearts as Father Brown looked into his own, as we need to look into our own, knowing our hearts as God does, what did he do? What did God do when he knew that every single one of us in some fashion has murdered and maybe literally has murdered? What did God do when he knew that we had violated in some way, literally or figuratively, spiritually, every single one of these injunctions that are meant to draw us to himself? What did God do when we had distanced ourselves from him by violating and giving up on all of what he called us to do? What did he do? Did he send an executioner? Did he send the plague? No. In the midst of all that, while we were yet sinners, the Apostle Paul says, God sent his son. Christ died for us. When we have killed the spirit of a child or a spouse or a friend or a stranger with a word, when we have wanted to bring about physical injury and maybe even have, when we maybe have even literally killed someone unjustly, what did God do? God sent his son to die for us, to be that expiation, that substitute, that atoning sacrifice once and for all. God sent his son to be killed, to be murdered, so that we may have life and be set free from the rage of our sin that would lead us to murder and even redeems us, if we have, by God's grace. We do not atone for we do not make ourselves right. Before God prohibited any other action between people, he said not to murder, even though every person who has ever lived deserves the death penalty because we have denied God. But the amazing nature of God's love for us is that he, God says, do not murder while knowing that the one most heinous murder in human history, is the one he ordered. For our resistance to his will, God ordered the murder of his own son. The death of his son. Why? 
so that we would not be murdered by the, our own rejection of his love for us. Oh, my friends, there's a treasure. There's a freeing, liberating love that God says, come here. You don't need to live like that. You don't need to think like that. You don't need to be like that. I will set you free. I think the biggest piece, maybe that's P-E-A-C-E as well as P-I-E, See, I think the biggest piece in our understanding this command comes from realizing what God has done in forgiving us. We're on the gallows. We're the ones that should be executed. We have been offered salvation from murdering and being murdered by the deliverance bought for us by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who can say hallelujah? Hallelujah. We need to recognize... That would be our status. We don't, we don't think of that seriously enough. We do spiritualize this way too much. God has rescued us. He's stepped onto that platform. He's taken the hood off of us. He's removed the noose from our neck. He's put it over the neck of his son, didn't give him a hood, and pulled the rope himself. That would be us. But praise God. He said, no, I'll do it. I'll take the place. Don't murder. Don't go out and do this. You're doing it to yourself. There is nothing in this life that can match that. There is nothing in this life that can match that and make us whole. We owe a debt we cannot pay. May we cherish God's justice and the life we have been given, so that those who stand to be murdered physically and worse spiritually may hear and taste and feel not death, not murder, but life in Jesus Christ. May we lead someone to that gallows and say, I know, I know you think your life is over, but it's not. And may we, in Jesus' name, take the hood off of them. Take the blinders from their eyes. Take the rope from their neck and say, let me introduce you to the one who loves you more than life itself. May we do that. That's our calling. When God says, do not murder, he says, don't let anybody be murdered. Someone is waiting, my friends, someone is waiting to hear from you how valuable they are to God. That's the value of life. Someone is waiting to hear you say, God wants to preserve you and wants to preserve life through you. Come, let him love you. May we be agents of this message. Someone needs to hear that God wants to save their life. May we be agents of this message for someone today. May we look around for someone who's waiting to hear this. And may our lives be turned by God's grace to giving life as a sign to the world of God's redeeming touch in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your love is so amazing, so divine, so beyond this world, that when you call us to do something, you are calling us to have our lives saved. May we recognize this. 
May we not feel held back, but instead let us feel released, for you are our God, and we are to have no gods before you, not our will, not anything. Lord, if there's anyone here today, right inside this place, who needs to know that that word of forgiveness that you have extended to them, that they may not die, but live, let them hear that now in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, take us to those people who have felt murdered or who have felt like they have murdered or are threatening that and let us speak the name of Jesus Christ compassionately with our very lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.